let's crack open a beer and share some thoughts. Welcome to Opinions, and we're back once again, and once again we have got beer already in glass this week, haven't we mate? We have. Uh, we've got a beer from Amity Bruco, Zest Citrus Pilsner, um, but we're not drinking it alone, are we Steve? We're not. We're actually joined by Russ Clark, who is one of the co-founders of Amity Bruco. Russ, welcome to Opinions. Hey guys, thanks for, uh, thanks for inviting me on. Thanks, no, thanks for joining us this evening. We're uh, very much looking forward to enjoying your beers and, and talking to you about Amity as well. Shall we uh, tuck into the first beer then? Let's, yeah, let's get into it straight away. Cheers. 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 Well, it's definitely got a bit of a lemony hit to it, hasn't it? Oh, yeah, that's hitting the spot. Yeah, no. I mean, I'm not even sure I'd know it was a Pilsner if I didn't see it on the front of the can. <laughs> I was being honest. It's. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to say what's about to come out of my mouth, and please don't be offended by this, Russ. It tastes <laughs> like a shandy. It's it's really, really, really shandy-like. Yeah, it's it's got that more modern Radler quality to it. Yeah. Hasn't it? Um, it is quite light. It is zesty. Um, like I said, the, the Pilsner quality of it, which is, you know, sometimes that um, overt breadiness that I sometimes associate with the style is either not really there or it's hidden. Um, this, during that early part of lockdown, during the first bit of that, re- when we had the really hot weather in like May and June, uh-huh. this would be a, I mean, it's super smashable now, but you can imagine this sitting out in the garden. Oh yeah. It wouldn't have stood a chance. Steve comes back from his, Steve comes back from his hundred miles on his bike ride. There's a couple of these going in about five minutes. If if that, um, it's it's great to have you with us tonight, Russ, because we we haven't had to really do any research about the beers. It's, we've, we've taken <laughs> taken kind of a lazy approach because we're just going to ask you to, to 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 tell us about the beers. So 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 tell us the the, the story behind this one. Yeah, I think. Um... I think when it comes to, to Zest, we've, we've kind of got two prongs to the story. One is, one is that um, uh, I, I've been for, foretelling the coming of the Radler uh, probably for, for a, a few years now. So you've kind of bobbed it on there, I would say. Like what we really wanted to aim for was an amped up Radler, you know, an, a, a normal strength Radler. So rather than that kind of 2 to 3% that you would typically get with that kind of style, we wanted something that was still as smashable and as sessionable as a Radler, but still hit the spot when it came to actual substance as well. Um, and again, totally, totally right in terms of the time of year that this has come out. There's a bit of a circumstance around that and why we brewed it, um, as opposed to when we would probably look to brew it in the future, for example. Um, so it's, it's kind of been timed on, on its release more along the lines of like Oktoberfest, I'd say more than anything this time, uh, this time around. But yeah, like basically this is our Brewdog collab fest beer. Uh, so th- this is the beer that we brewed for, uh, collab fest, which will be upcoming and probably start hitting social media in the next week or two, basically. Um, so yeah, uh, Brewdog leads the smaller of the two leads mm-hmm. bars, um, I've got a bit of a history uh, having worked at Brewdog previously, obviously, and, and then the guys, there's still a couple of guys who work there uh, from my time in Brewdog. 
And uh, when they found out that we were doing Amity, they were really keen to get involved and, and sign us up straight away. So, yeah, and, and it kind of fits the bill in terms of the beer styles that we love doing in that it's kind of a, a classic style um, that we're doing a bit of a modern spin on. So we've got, um, we have got lemon juice in the actual brew, but instead of actual lime juice and lime zest, um, we've just used Motueka as a hop. So it's really, really limey, lime peely, I would say, kind of comes through on that instead of just the pure, pure lemon juice there. Um, couldn't get, couldn't get any lemon drop hop, sadly, uh, in order to just sort of really accentuate that. So the big, the big backbone to the Pilsner is, is Motueka. So yeah, you've got that kind of New Zealand limey quality to it as well. Um, and whilst we're superbly well balanced, I was just going to say. Thank you. Yeah. Superbly I, well balanced. I mean, it's, it's all down to Greg. Our brewer's, uh, he's awesome. Um, but it's, um, yeah, we we know that we're probably not going to be the uh, the craziest ticked uh, club fest brewery, I would say, that weekend. But we certainly think that we'll be the most drinkable. And I think that that's, that's got its own merits in itself, I think, for uh, certainly for Collabfest anyway. And uh, knowing some of the beers that are going to be on that weekend. Yeah. So, so, so as, a, as a result of you being part of the Collabfest, this will be available in all Brewdog bars, is, is it, up and down the country? It's going to be at least 40 Brewdog bars in the UK, yeah. Yeah. Which um, a brilliant, brilliant bit of exposure, isn't it? It's insane. Um, and insane at, at the point of recording this we are still without our own brewery which i know that we're going to get onto obviously uh, in a bit but um yeah brew dog actually i mean my history there is is kind of fairly fairly sort of well known in certainly in the in the beer industry but um the uh, the the beer buyer uh, dan muldoon he he contacted me out of the blue uh, the weekend of launching uh, Amity sort of publicly and uh, yeah he got in touch and he said right okay there's there's two things I want to talk to you about one one of which was kind of club fest and Brewdog Leeds sort of helped that conversation along and then the other was the up and coming festival so that's the the one where Brewdog Bars um, showcase um, yeah it's I think it's around about 10-15 breweries from around the country who are all below uh, a certain level of volume production on an annual basis and then basically you yeah you do as many kegs as you can you can do and then it gets sent out into uh, into everything so um it's great that obviously you know i knew a few people at brewdog but yeah it, it was awesome to be approached by them to then give us a bit of a platform to uh, to to go on uh when, oh, when yeah, we were only like a month old well, that's was, what i was going to say i mean that's yeah. that's li literally your official launch they can't have tasted anything, I presume. Nope. So they're basing it on you, I presume. Uh, I'm guessing. So I mean, I'd say more Greg what, than anything. What is your What is your brew dog background? Then did you work brew? No. The bar? no. So I um I actually started in in the beer industry at Brewdog. Uh, my, my previous career was working in spec savers of all places. Um, so yeah, I just um I, I got into beer got very passionate about it in the same way that a lot of people do and um yeah equity for punks three 
I invested uh, just one single share in that. And then of course you get on the mailing list for all of the various job opportunities that come up. And uh, yeah, I, um, uh, I basically applied for, a, it was a European role actually. Uh, and I got down from, I think it was around 200 candidates to the last few which was awesome considering I a had no experience in sales and B had no experience in the beer industry. <laughs> uh, but they ultimately gave it to a guy uh, called Johnny Reed, who you may or may not know. Johnny's now the commercial director at overworks uh, for Brewdog. So uh, a fantastic guy, um, but obviously already experienced at Brewdog, you know, he knew his stuff already. He was already there. Uh, a couple of months later, I was approached by uh, one of the HR people at BD and um, she asked me to go for a, a quick cheeky lunchtime pint with uh, one of the salespeople for the north of England, uh, Josie. And uh, yeah, so I went along, went for a quick beer at lunchtime. We chatted away for an hour and then 9am the next day, I had a job offer in my inbox for a sales manager for the north of England. Um, with a big caveat there, which is it's a very Abaddonian perspective of what the no north of England actually is, uh, in that it was from the Watford Gap to the Scottish borders and Wales. Now that, you know, only a Scottish company could appreciate <laughs> is the north of England. Uh, and also I only found that out on day one of being in the business. So, you know, there's swings and roundabouts. But yeah, so I was at Brewdog for about three, three and a half years, uh, worked in the sales team for an incredible period of time at Brewdog where they were already big in terms of volume for, for UK craft beer, but they, they ramped up insanely. So UK production, the first year that I was there in sales was 60,000 hectolitres of beer. Um, and then when I moved from the sales team into learning and development at Brewdog, uh, I think we were approaching about a quarter of a million uh, hectolitres of beer for, for the UK market. Um, yeah, some jump in it. That's a huge jump. And the team, you know, when I started again, the, the sales team was four or five people and it was around about 15 to 20 by the time I, I moved out of the sales team. So big, big time in Brewdog. You know, this was still when you saw a lot of Brewdog on draft in independent venues, you know, um, uh, it was uh, it was a crazy and fun time. We got to do a lot of really cool things. Uh, and a lot of that team uh, that I was part of have now gone on to do some amazing things in, in craft beer in general. So Pat, for example, who used to look after uh, casual dining uh, and things like that. He's now the uh, one of the directors at Gypsy Hill. Um, Steve Ricketts, who looked after grocery, went on to look after the entire UK team at Brewdog, but now, and then went on to Hawkshead and he's on the cusp of starting to talk about his own project, which is really exciting. Um, and yeah, th th that team was a, a fantastic cradle, I think for a lot of people who've gone on to do some really amazing stuff in the beer industry. So I feel very, I feel actually probably, uh, you probably don't get this a lot, but I feel very positive about Brewdog and what they do for the industry. Um, I think yeah. they've always done. I think they've always done some good stuff. I, I, I think you know it's pretty well documented. Me and Steve tend to have our issues with them when they're a bit dickish, um, for want of a better phrase. I don't uh, agree with a lot of their marketing. But yeah. <laughs> that's, that's sort of side by side with everything else. I would yeah, say. Yeah, uh, and but you know. 
some of the stuff they've done, whether that be for, you know, like Collab Fest and the up and coming. Sure. And they used to have that fund, didn't they? But they used to help out smaller breweries. I mean, Brew yeah. by Numbers was a beneficiary of that in their early days. Massive. Yeah. So, you know, there are, there are things that they do that are good, both in terms of uh, for the industry in general and for us as beer drinkers. They're not everyone's cup of tea and they never will be anymore. You know, they're, 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 they've moved on from, from being that. So, but I certainly welcome the news that they've opened a couple of places in the southwest of England where my son goes to university. Yeah. <laughs> because it's a bit of a beer desert down there. So I'm, I'm more than happy with those couple of announcements recently. And I think in Essex, we might, we sh- we're at last going to be getting our one, aren't we, Steve? I think there was an announcement, yeah, that Chelmsford was on, on, on the list finally to, to get a Brewdog bar. So it looks, looks like Essex has finally arrived. So, so to, to speak in, in, in terms of yeah. good beer. Yeah, craft beer didn't exist in Essex until Brewdog arrived, right? That's normally how it works. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Brewdog has saved Essex. That's the mantra. Um, <laughs> so, so Russ, did you go, uh, was it straight out of Brewdog into this idea of setting up your own brewery or, or, or were there steps in between that? Yeah, no, I did. Um, I did about a year uh, in learning development at Brewdog. So uh, I was looking after more the um, the brewery team uh, side of things. So that's the offices, you know, the actual brew team, things like that. Um, and I, I ran induction for Brewdog. So every week, every two weeks, I was seeing this these amazingly passionate people come into uh, this business. Uh, we grew the team from probably around 600 to 800 people over that period of time. Um, and yeah, I sort of inducted them or indoctrinated, depending on your opinion. <laughs> of group, group, you know, it's, it's both, you know, it's both. Um, but sadly, sadly for a lot of people, I was the first face that they saw, um, which could have been enough to put them off. Uh, admittedly but they um, yeah th- there was a great bunch of people that that we got on board there so I spent a year doing that um, but a lot of the job was based obviously up in Aberdeen in Ellen and uh, my my wife and my life uh, is down here in Leeds so it wasn't really sustainable for for a big period of time you know I was doing four or five days a week up there um, when I was in the sales team a uh, couple of my um, customers then was Chris and Mark, who owned and then sold Beerhawk to AB InBev. But we became really good friends. And basically, they said, look, why don't you come work for us? Just do something with us. Um, we'll, we'll hash out the details later. So I, I went and I ran the trade side of the business uh, for, for a year. Um, and it, it was a great experience again, sort of getting involved with e-commerce, all of that side of things, learning a, a slightly different path to, to the regular kind of uh, B, B2B sales and things like that. Um, but sadly, the AB InBev thing started making itself a bit well-known in the last three months there. Uh, and I was having to sell things like Corona uh, and things like that it was really, really anti where my head was at. And uh, it's just, it started becoming a bit more of a corporate place. Whereas even though the AB InBev purchase was still there for the first sort of nine months when I was there, it, it just wasn't, it was really in the background and it, it 
they were just letting letting Bayhawk be Bayhawk and get on with it. Um, but sadly, that changed. So um, again, people that I'd previously worked with at, when I was at Brewdog um, was uh, John and Christian at North Brewing Co. And uh, yeah, I, I, I spoke to those guys about potentially doing something with, with them. There's a couple of roles that we were looking at, um, but the predominant thing that they were looking for was some kind of project management role. Um, they were looking to upscale both the brewery side of things and the bar side of things um, uh, with something really, really exciting, which turned into uh, the, the North Brewing Co. Uh, City Tap that's in mm. the center of Leeds, just south of the train station. So when I joined, I basically picked that up as a project and sort of eight, nine months later, um, brought that to fruition. Uh, but an insane project bringing empty shell all the way through lease negotiations, um, you know, all, all the way through putting a kitchen in a, a six-story building filled with lawyers and things like that, uh, all, all the way to, to launch. It was an incredible thing. And then also the second thing I did there, which was refurbing North Bar itself. So the first refurbishment that bar had had in 22 years. Um, and it's kind of like, how do you, how do you do it? Like, how do you even touch this place? You know, it's, uh, it, it's something that people almost don't want touched at all. And, uh, so we did, we did quite a respectful sort of mod, modern classic update, I would say, uh, with that one. I think you'd agree with that, wouldn't you, Steve, having been there? I, I, I would, yeah, because I, I used to be in Leeds quite a lot with, with a previous job. Um, and I was a regular at the North Bar and um, went back recently a few weeks ago for the first time in two-ish years. Um, so it, it must have been after the, 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 the refurb. And, and to be honest with you, I couldn't have really distinguished it from the original. I, I think so I think you, you kept it true to itself in, in in terms of it's still very much the North Bar in in in, in terms of its appearance yeah we I mean we kept some of the really sort of key elements so the photo booth is still there right and yeah. um the fact that you can just rock up there and chill out and and have a lovely time it's not just about beer with north that's the thing it's it is about just good quality booze and chat and meeting people and you know the the ridiculous set of back bar spirits you will ever see you know it's it, it's all of those still are still there so yeah so over the period of time at north i definitely had a bit of an itch started growing a bit of an idea of what it was that I wanted to go and do but North is so intense because they're doing some amazing things and there's some great people there and they're they're obviously on this huge route for expansion they're about to sort of open their new brewery I think in the next month or so and um, yeah whilst you're there you can't really get any headspace to think about your next thing and what it is that you want to do and uh, I realized that, yeah, I needed to kind of take a few months at least and sort of pull back a little bit and, and think about what I wanted to do. So, yeah, so I left in October last year and uh, spent a couple of months sort of figuring out what it was that I wanted to do. And then, and then yeah, sort of into proper business planning and uh, funding and, and uh, everything else mode for this year to, to get Amity off the ground. 
So yeah, it's it's been a real journey, but it's been awesome. So which ultimately led you to effectively start a brewery roughly when the pandemic kicked in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm nothing if not really well timed. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> um because I remember when I started seeing the stuff on social media and I was thinking, oh my God, because whatever business plan you were doing in October, yeah. any business plan you were doing up until the end of February would have not included what the period of time we've entered into. It's, it's incredible how few business plans probably did include the pandemic <laughs> uh, in them at the time. But yeah, I, I mean, uh, the only knock-on effect that it had for our business plan, weirdly, is that it brought forward the launch by about two or three months. Um, it, was, it was one of those where um, the idea was always to um, work with a partner brewery um, to get our first beers out the door launch the online shop beforehand so that we build some momentum into the actual launch of our own place. Um, when the pandemic hit, it became pretty bloody obvious that every brewery out there that could was pivoting to that B2C online shop model. Um, so we'd have been really foolish to not try and, and, and get ours out the door at exactly the same time when people were basically trapped at home and they needed to get beer delivered to them. It, it was, a, it would have been a real missed opportunity. Um, and we figured we had enough time and, and things to talk about um, that we could continue that sort of ramp up, ramp up to the launch. Um, so yeah, um, fortunately everything turned out uh, super well. Uh, so we, we obviously launched 1st of July um, batch one and batch two uh, sold out within 48 hours of um, of them going on sale. Um, and then it gave us a bit of confidence to make a lot more beer, a lot bigger batches so that we'd have some stock to kind of see us through to, to the actual brew pub. So, yeah, yeah, it's uh, don't get me wrong, though. Pandemics suck. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't want to give I don't want to give COVID-19. I don't want to give Rona any decent PR at this point, you know. <laughs> Um, you mentioned they're uh, a partner brewery, so oh. obviously you, you, you've got somebody who's brewing your beer for you at the moment. Yeah. How did, um, obviously you, you said you saw very quickly that all of the breweries were pivoting to moving their own business online. Was, was that a challenge for you to still fit into their brew schedule if they were ramping up their own production to meet their own need or or were they still quite happy to honor any previous agreements that they had with you in terms of what what they were going to brew for you yeah it was i mean it was a bit of both really um we, we were talking to two or three people um about potentially brewing with them and um the the what it ultimately came down to was size of kit um so the the brewery that we initially did some uh, some beer with was glen Affric, uh based over in Birkenhead near Liverpool, over the water. And um, they, they had this perfect little uh, five hectolitre, 500 litre kit um, and a, a few FEs. And yeah, because of, the, uh, because of the pandemic, nobody was really using that particular kit for all the small batch stuff. You know, they were still using their big kit, their regular size kit, which is 30 hectolitre for all of their regular stuff. Um, so yeah, it, it became quite an obvious and easy sort of choice to, to work with them uh, and, and get our initial brews in and, and out the door. Yeah. 
And, and when you say, obviously, you're, you're working with them, is, is that a case of, are you giving them the recipe and, and saying, there's, there's the beer, produce it for us? Or is, is your head brewer brew team actually physically going to, to, to the building and, and, and brewing on their kit? Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a mix of everything. I, I don't know whether... Uh, it was fascinating seeing her opinions, obviously, uh, before uh, before uh, the show. But it was a real interesting mix of a bit of cuckoo, a bit of contract, um, and maybe a bit of something in between. To be honest with you, as well. Um, so our brewer is uh, is Greg Swanson. So he uh, and I met when I was at Brewdog. Um, so he was part of the brew team there. Um, he'd also been brewing out in the States previous to coming and, and working back in the, uh, back in Scotland. Um, Greg then actually moved on from Brewdog and became one of the lead brewers at Buxton Brewery. So he's got this incredible pedigree. He knows his stuff and he's made some amazing beers. Uh, I still have to pinch myself that he wanted to kind of give all of that up and, and, and come and do something with us. But, um, yeah, we, we started chatting last year about potentially coming on board and he, you know, we just get on super well. Um, and, uh, he, he wanted to do his own thing for once and really loved the mindset of where we were trying to pivot Amity, which was like modern classics. So the kind of styles that people, I wouldn't say forgot, but the styles that don't really get a lot of the talk anymore and then doing our own spin or a modern spin on those and, and everything in between, you know, experiment with what's new as well. Um, but, uh, I think one of the things that we were really keen to do when we were brewing with Glen Affric was we did the brew days ourselves with their brewers on, on their kit. So that kind of puts you in the cuckoo brewing box, I suppose, more on that side of things. Um, but then with subsequent brews of those beers, because we'd then work with the, their brew team. They knew what our expectations were. They knew how to do our beers and the kind of ways that we would do things as opposed to how Glen Affric would do things. Um, so that was more erring towards the contract brew side of things. You, have, you also have to figure, yes, there was a pandemic on and logistically getting our whole team together in one place at the same time whilst trying to balance you know, your own jobs and your own nine to fives and stuff like that. Um, is pretty tricky. So the, the, the reasons for doing a bit of a mix of both were, were because of that. Um, but yeah, we, we launched with the, the three beers. So we did the, the U S pale, we did the hell's lager, and then we did the, um, modern ESB as well. Uh, but we were, we were there for all three of the brew days with that one. Um, and, and, uh, yeah, it was, um, it's an awesome feeling getting things off the ground after uh, sort of at that point it was about eight, nine months worth of planning to get our brew days in. Um, but yeah, so, it turned out really well. So. so so why, why those three styles? Why, why launch with, with, with those three styles? I, I know you say you're looking to, to put sort of like a modern classics spin on, on, yeah. on, on the beers that, that, that you're brewing, but they're three styles that, almost couldn't be further apart particularly when you, you you've got an esb in in there as as well that's not a, a style that you really see that often and it's, it's it's not really what what you think a brewery would be launching with 
and yeah. unless they've got supreme confidence in the <laughs> recipe and the skills of their brewer, <laughs> or, or really brave, right? Just or, or stupid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's completely foolhardy. I mean, who knows, right? No, abs- I totally agree with you. I think um, I think the things that we looked back was we looked back at um, our journey into beer, and some of the beers that really stand out for us are. For most people, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, um, Augustina Hells, and uh, certainly more for myself, uh, Fuller's ESB. And they're these real um, pivot points in terms of their beers that make you stop and think about what beer is, and you've never had something like that before. Um, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, like, you know, ballads have been written about that beer. It, it's still one of those insane beers that is brewed so well and so consistently that it's one of the few beers that's at this point, is it over 20 years old as, as a recipe? Yeah. It's, just, we talked about it as like a cla- We were talking about classics, weren't we, Steve? Yeah. yeah it was Sierra Nevada. It was 90. It's actually 40 years old. It was 1980. Oh, yeah. There you go. It was, it was first brewed. It's crazy when you think and yet about it. it. Is, it's still in growth in the U S it's still in growth in the in the US. It, it doesn't make sense that that is the case, but it's wonderful that that is the case. Um, and it, you know, it's one of those beers. Punk as well being one of those beers that you know makes you stop and think. Um, but but Sierra, yeah, it, it's got that special place. You know, you've got that amazing balance of that sweet malt and then piney resinous kind of kind of bitterness there. It's it's so classic. Um, Augustine Hells, there's no way that anyone is ever going to beat Augustine Hells as a beer style. Like that needs been that needs to be said from from right now. But I'd agree with that. I mean, it's amb- it's ambitious that the, the not only the styles that Steve's quoted at the start, but your markers of those styles. Oh yeah, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Yeah, Augustine Hells and ESB. Most people will default to Fuller's ESB as their as their benchmark. Absolutely, and yeah. you know that's they're, they're they're tough point they're tough markers. Yeah, and, and don't get me wrong, it, it was less about trying to be better because you can't in in some respects with those beers, but it was about well here's the classic style and here's where we want to take it and and certainly when it comes to the ESB, um, one of the beers that really took me on my journey was Modern Times' Blazing World back when it was an actual red IPA. Uh, as as opposed to more of a sort of dank resinous IPA that it is now, it, it was with like red malt. There's mel- melanoidin in there and and things like that. You know, um, it was much more a sort of five AM saint if you want to give it a a, a brewdog comparison, right? But um, we wanted something that had the modern characteristics of that kind of beer, but with full as ESB. We wanted a, a true sort of extra special bitter style. Because we also have to think about the kind of market that we're going into. You know, we're in we're in West Yorkshire, um, we're in a, a suburban part of Leeds, um, and bitter is a very classic and, and well loved style. So we wanted to basically give people something like that, but with our own modern spin. So it's it's going to bring people on a little bit, get them talking, and maybe educate people a little bit about how bitters can be as opposed to the really trad trad styles that, that you've got out there. Um, so, yeah, 
so that that's kind of it was a bit of our um i suppose flag flagging the flag in the ground about about those we we wanted classic styles but we wanted to do something really interesting with them uh, bring them on a touch so and what's the reception been like for for them you you say obviously you know your first two batches sold out great news um you know we were we were fortunate en- enough because you sent us down some, some of those first beers as well we tried those back on i think it was episode 124 of opinions and and, and we we absolutely absolutely loved them for, yeah, for I was me just looking at just looking at what i said about them and what i thought <laughs> about them and, um, yeah you know the the Sunnybank pale ale yeah. uh give that a four out of five i think we both loved it didn't we steve uh, yeah, I, I think I remember because I I don't think I did that one on the show, but I drank it beforehand, and I think I think I distinctly remember it being a very very hot Thursday afternoon, and I'd just been out for a walk, and I got back, and I was like, oh, that that looks like the perfect refreshment, and oh yeah, it, it absolutely blew me away, I, I, and you you can see where you were now yeah. you've mentioned Sierra Nevada parallel, you can see what you were shooting for with, with it oh. because you could the comparisons are there yeah so as they said so i mean you start, you sold out feedback been good yeah i mean it's um it's been it's blown us away to be honest with you i mean it's um it mostly down to greg and his recipe creation and obviously he's brewing but um yeah we we've been really blown away by the feedback i mean you know obviously we've had friends and family buying things and you kind of have to discount that. It's, it's when you put it out into the public domain uh, as we have with Brewdog's up and coming festival, right? That, that was the big test for us. That was the, you know, how are the majority of people that walk into a Brewdog bar going to receive us? Because let's face it these days, the majority of the more uh, beer bubble, the craft beer nerd side of things, they, they might go into a Brewdog bar, but, that the, the average customer of a Brewdog bar is a, is an average customer, right? Yeah, I agree then, with that. You know, um, and what we've found is that the feedback's been fantastic. I mean, in terms of uh, Sunnybank and Festoon, so the Hell's Lager, which we managed to get about thirty kegs of each out into the Brewdog estate. Um, on untapped at the minute, we're about 3.9-ish, I think, uh, with, with both of those. And as an average for a Hell's Lager, that's pretty astonishing. That's, that's pretty good, yeah. That I would pretty say good. that's pretty astonishing. And for a, a US-style pale ale that's not a juice bomb that you can actually see a little bit through, again, pretty blown away with the kind of feedback that we've been getting there. Um, yeah, the average ratings for both those beers looking pretty good i have to admit if you yeah. you know we're only talking about those people who are putting on, on untapped but it gives you an indicator doesn't it yeah i mean it gives us some good feedback that we're maybe onto something and that you don't have to churn out dipper after dipper after dipper in in order to uh, remain uh, a good quality and, and relevant perhaps who knows you won't get any arguments from steve and myself on that one <laughs> <laughs> So those three beers, uh, they're your core beers. That, yeah. that, that they're, so, what, they're what sit at the heart of Amity. That, that's, yeah. that, that they will always be available. Yeah. And, and around that, you're now beginning to build seasonals, specials, 
beers that you just fancy brewing every now and again um you, you know so far it seems like you when, when you started a brewery you had a tick list of i want my own versions of these beers <laughs> what what else have you got up your sleeve in terms of what 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 what, what what's coming next yeah i think i think what's hilarious is that the tick list of i want my own version of x is about 30 beers long so we've got We've got a long, time. <laughs> we've got a long list of stuff to get through before we even start going. All oh, right, okay, what should we do now? Um, but no, it, it, I think what I want to sort of separate myself from is just doing um, homages to a particular beer, if that makes sense, and more sort of saying, we love this style of beer. What should we do with it? So, for example, one of the things we're talking about at the minute is, uh, for example, Duval right? I love Duval. I think it is one of the best beers on the planet and I will literally fight anyone who says differently. Um, probably after a few 8.5%, you get a bit fighty anyway, yeah. right? But, but um, we have, um, it, it, where the brew pub's going to be based in Farsley, um, there's a, a few people actually who have their own apiaries. So uh, we're going to be getting like 500 meter away from the brewery we're going to be getting local honey that we're going to then put into like a, Bel a belgian strong ale so we'll do a honey saison of some kind or a honey golden strong ale things like that um there's there's beers that we really really want to um create without going too nuts so there's you know there's big porters and stouts that we want to do um we've had friends of you know connections that we've made over the years they've been offering us whiskey barrels for free which has been amazing um so yeah i mean bessie which i know we're going to get to our milk stout that there's going to be some barrel aged bessie at some point uh, in the future which is going to be very fun so, I'm, I'm already really, really excited for what, for what you've still got to come. If, if everything you've mentioned there, I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Give it, give it. It's, 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 it's like you've read uh, Steve's secret <laughs> wish list. I, I don't know if it's that. Is, or, or is it more that actually what, what you've tapped into is, is, is what seems to be becoming a bit of a gap in the market in terms of everybody and you've already mentioned it everybody just wants to brew the next big double ipa sure. or triple ipa or as we've seen recently we've now got quadruple ipas everybody, that's the thing, yeah. Yeah. everybody wants to brew the next big juice bomb and that's where all the the clamor and the fomo and the hype is and and i, I just wonder if if you've just sat back and gone everybody's forgetting this bit here which is just really really tasty beer and there's so many styles that sit within that that people maybe aren't brewing because they're scared it's not going to tick the FOMO box and it's not going to sell. And, and I think it's great that you're saying, no, we're, we're going to do a honey saison. We're, we're going to do our own version of Duval. And, you know, we're, we're not, we're not going to be ashamed to do that because that's what we want to do. I, th I think this is, again, this is where my sort of um, grounding I would say in, in Brewdog sales team really comes to the fore because I think what we know is that the craft beer industry in the UK is still under 10% of the total beer market, right? So it's, it's still just under, I would say. And 
the the sort of people that want the double IPAs, you know, the total juice bomb uh, side of things, um, they're, they're a percent of that as well. And I think what people need to understand is that your average beer drinker is still the person that will go to a bar and ask what lager have you got? And is it Foster's or is it Carling? And I think what you need to understand is not you personally, but I think what people do need to understand is that you need to educate people on why you should pay for something that is better, but maybe just slightly more expensive. And the average consumer is willing to pay more for a slightly better experience. Um, but they don't want to be scared away by eight quid for a half or, or something like that. It's that we, we had to be really, really conscious about the market we were going to be launching into, which is, you know, a, a Northwest suburb of Leeds. Um, and they, they have craft beer in, in various bars in this particular town. And, um, so it's not like they're oblivious to it, but I also want your average drinker to come in and not feel intimidated by what we've got on offer. You know, we, we've got Hell's Lager. So if you like lager, it's going to be a bit like this. It's going to be a bit breadier. You'll get this kind of vibe with it, but it will be really similar to what you've experienced before, but it's brewed there. And it's brewed with all these ingredients, which is why it costs a little bit more, but I guarantee it will taste better than what you've had. And that, that's basically what it comes down to. Yeah, I mean, you, you've got accessibility with your beers. Sure. The, the free from the core range are beers which I've seen on bars for years, um, especially a lager and a stout. Uh, sorry, the stout is the new one from Bessie, but you know, a lager and a pale, for example, they're pretty well embedded in the markets, I would say. Um, so like you say, you're not really scaring potential punters off, are you? No. And I think, uh, I think, you know, the, there is obviously the, the crowd that wants what's, whatever's new and sexy. And I totally get that too. You know, we, we are part of that crowd. You know, I'm one of those people, you know, I want that too. Um, but we've also got to balance that with stuff that people come back to time and time again. And that's why most breweries, if you don't have a core range, have a core range, you need something for people to come back to time and time again. If they had a good experience with a beer, why would you want to throw that out the window and start again with your next beer? It doesn't make sense to me at all. It doesn't make sense. And even breweries that used to not do that. So cloud water, for example, they, they, they've realized that they do at least need to call the beer the same thing every time, regardless of whether they change it up very slightly with a hot profile or yeast or how they do things, they're still calling something a light lager or a light pale every time, even if the beer contents themselves do slightly change or get tweaked or something like that. And I, I think that's no bad thing. I think that's a good way to do things actually. Um, because it's still going to be the same beer, but it will hopefully improve with quality over time and, and, and improve in direction as well. You'll, you'll get no argument from me on, on <laughs> whether, whether a brewery should have a, a core range because I'm, I, I definitely sit on the side of the fence that I, I, I think a core range is, 
is, is vital to, to, to a brewery's output because as, as you said if, if I find a beer from a brewery that I enjoy I want to be able to go back to that time and time again I don't want to have to wait for the next revolution around the sun for, for that beer to become available again because because I enjoyed it so yeah give give me a core range but then and and you know what win me over with your core range as well prove to me you can make delicious beers over and over again and then do your specials do your seasonals because you've got the trust in me from having a solid core range absolutely yeah, yeah. definitely wouldn't disagree with um either of your sentiments there about the core range um you know even people like we've spoken about it before even people like the colonel you know they they do have a core range it's just that the beer the beer has a different hop profile uh maybe a slightly different alcohol percentage but they still have pale ale india pale ale dry irish stout etc yeah um yeah I, I i i would agree I, and as a business i can't imagine unless you've got incredibly deep pockets why you wouldn't want to get that core range out there and nailed and people getting into it again okay what else they do that's it that's all you want let's let people get curious about what, what other stuff you might be able to do because you've nailed the core range to start off with exactly right yeah the curious consumer is is the one that um you want to foster you you want those people in your bar but you you need something for people that aren't you know that that want a pint of hail week in week out uh the the one the one thing that I'm a little bit scared about is the fact that our pale's six percent. So we're going to have a lot of people on the floor, but you know, it's kind of you know swings and roundabouts with that. They'll they'll get used to it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> they'll, they'll build up some form of resistance, right? Yeah, yeah. The more of it, the more of it you drink. Um, yeah. Russ, that's been really fascinating talking to you uh, about your journey and 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 starting the brewery and and, and launching. And and we we haven't even got on to uh, kind of what's coming next for, for for you folks because you're about to. Yeah, well, you, you've just recently signed on 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 a premises, but we'll we'll come on to that because and the only reason I'm saying we're going to come on to that is. <laughs> It's because my glass is empty um, and, right. and, and, and I need another beer. Uh, but just, uh, just some final thoughts on the Zest Citrus Pilsner. Um, yeah, for, for me, it was, it was what I said at the beginning. It's kind of that shandy Radler territory. And it's, it's just, you get the lemon and lime in it. Um, you get a lovely dry crisp finish as a result of that. And, and it's just a beer that, in on a hot day you could just sit back and drink that all day long and and just enjoy every single pint of it uh martin similar thoughts to to, to that i'm guessing yeah and i thought the red actually the uh, radler was a really good shout steve um it's it's definitely got that lightness of the radler um comes in at a nice percentage yeah i mean i've made this last this first bit of the recording but that was a stretch yeah. Last I, I, I didn't even try i just I, I just i just sat here and drank it while, while yeah, I was you absolutely smashed it within seconds I yeah you. yeah well i was I, I was that and i was just sitting back listening to you talking about your list of 30 beers that you want to recreate <laughs> um I'm, I'm most looking forward to seeing what what's going to come of that uh let's move on to the second beer this evening the second beer this evening again from amity this is water pistol and this is a juicy parallel coming in at 4.6%. So while we're decanting this into our glasses, Russ, tell us a little bit about this beer. 
Yeah, it's um, yeah, it was our first stab at a, a juicy pale. To be honest with you, we didn't want to um, go down the sort of totally uh, opaque uh, yellow ditch water uh, side of things. We we again we wanted something that was really um, uh, drinkable. I think I think one of the things we mentioned in in the previous one. Um, you want in something that was um, very approachable. And actually, I totally agree with that. I think approachability and drinkability is probably the, the two most important things for anything that we do. Um, uh, we wanted something that still had a bit of a malt base. So you've got that kind of residual malt sweetness. But again, when we looked at hops, the kind of hops that we really love are still that kind of Australasian New Zealand style hops. So again, we're looking at Motueka on there. We've got Nelson Sovin in there as well. And then we go back to the U S for a bit of Simcoe as well on the, on the dry hop. Um, so we wanted a little bit of citrus vibe to kind of carry it through. So it's juicy, but it's not like, it's not verdant juicy because again, that can be a bit too much for a lot of people. You know, the, sometimes you get that presented as kind of green onion or, you know, a bit too grassy, a bit too chlorophyllic. And some people don't really get on with that. So we wanted something that harks to a juicy pale rather than getting too crazy. Um, so water pistol and it is 4.6%, right? So again, pints of this are achievable. Um, and, and, you know, you're not going to sort of have a pint and then go, ah, oh, don't think I could manage another one of those you might go back for another and that's okay. It's allowed to have two of the same beer, which again is something our industry probably needs to realize, but you know, that's what's your thinking Steve of this one. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's, it's soft. It's kind of stone fruit soft in, in, in terms of some of the flavors that are going on in there. There's, there's some hints of, uh, tropical notes that there is a bit of dryness going on, on the finish, but it doesn't, it doesn't finish too sweet or too cloying. It's a very, very clean finish. And it's a finish that makes you want to go back in for an, 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 another sip. What, what, what about you, mate? Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, it's definitely got plenty of fruit going on, whether that be on the aroma or on the palate, a bit of a dry finish. It puts me in mind of some of the hazy pale hours that I've been buying from beer hop recently from the west coast of america where they've, oh, nice. where they've gone yes this is our version of haze but it's truly hazy rather than murky and soupy um and that's definitely where my preferences lie as well i think the drinkability of this although certainly first impressions i mean even maybe more drinkable than the uh, the citrus pilsner to be honest yeah i mean the soft quality of this almost feels like a different uh, water profile with the softness of it um i think would easily make it a smashable beer um in your upcoming brewery bar tap room that's coming yeah. up so uh, yeah. well while me and steve sit back and quite frankly just drink this <laughs> why, don't, <laughs> why don't you tell us about that yeah it's been i mean that's the other side of the journey yeah it's not just sort of launching a brand the other part to the plan was um, launching a, a brew pub. And that was um, the, my other partner in crime, Rich, um, he, uh, he and I met when I was at Beerhawk 
and uh, he was looking after the B two B side of the business, uh, and then also looking after beer buying uh, by the end of his end of his tenure there. And um, we became fast friends because very much in the same vein, he was he was into beer in the same way that all three of us here are, right? And um, he, uh, we originally sort of said, "Oh, wouldn't it be great if we did our own little bottle shop?" in this kind of area and it would be really fun, really cool, really interesting. And um, I, I sort of approached him back end of October, as I said last year, and I just said, uh, bottle shop's not scary enough. I think we need to open our own brewery. And he just sat back, just paused for a minute and he was like, I'm in, let's do it. Let's go crazy. So the, the plan evolved into a brew pub and, one of the reasons for that is that I think brewery taps in the UK, and this is not speaking for all brewery taps in the UK. This is speaking for the majority of brewery taps in the UK are cold clinical warehouse environments, and they do not lend themselves to the industry, which we're in, which is essentially hospitality. We need to be hospitable towards people and it's something that i think the belgian brewing tradition gets really right in that they're very customer-led they're warm they're cozy environments um maybe not very modern but they are very you know welcoming places um whereas brewery taps here in the uk are either a railway arch or a steel roofed warehouse of some variety again not speaking for all of them but for the majority and um, I think I thought that there was a better path to doing it. Uh, and I thought that that was along the sort of US style brew pub where beer is brewed then and there on site. You can watch that happen, but you can also have a really lovely long or short casual uh, experience by, by being there uh, and enjoying a few beers uh, at the same time. Um, what, what sort of um? Because I'm at a cross between either like the old Firkin pubs or what Stone Berlin was. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Where, whereabouts? Will you, where's your vision? Well, I, I wish I had the money that Stone Berlin uh, <laughs> had. Uh, or, yeah, had being the word. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, I I think if you think that the the building in which we're going to be based is a place in Northwest Leeds in Farsley. It's called Sunnybank Mills. Uh, it's a centuries old uh, textile mill complex. So on the outside, it's beautiful, big sandstone uh, mill building. Uh, on the inside, there's a mixture of red brick and, uh, and sandstone as well with lots of amazing wooden sort of big oak beams and, and things like that. So I actually think it's this great character of between old and new in a, in a weird way. Uh, and we've got this beautiful L-shaped space uh, that's uh, called Festoon Rooms. So you've already got two of our beer names <laughs> there. Um, and it's on two levels. So the upper level uh, is going to be where the bar is. Uh, and you'll have this beautiful window glazed space that looks down into the brew, 
roof space on the on, on the lower level. Uh, and yeah, our kit is it's going to be a, a ten hectolitre brew kit um, with uh, a few FEs just to get us going, get us started. Uh, and then they share a cold store slash cellar. So it means that once we've kegged and we've canned, we literally wheel it directly into this huge cold store cellar and then hook it up. Uh, so it's instantly cold. It's instantly fresh and it's going to be on tap immediately. So there's a reason to come see us. Uh, there's a reason to come and, you know, get a few cans at the end of your stay and so on and so forth. It sounds like, it will become a place to visit how accessible like where you are in that part of outside Leeds. Yeah. How accessible is that by when we're, when we're, when we can safely use public transport in any sort of on mass in the future, how accessible yeah. is it? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's not too bad. I mean, driving wise, it's pretty much just off the ring road in Leeds. Um, public transport wise, there's at least two or three buses actually that go from the center of Leeds to Farsley. Um, and the nearest train station is New Pudsey, and it's it's about a fifteen minute walk from there, so it's not crazy um, in in terms of that. Um, and what, what's happening at the minute? Our landlords—I've never really dealt with landlords like these guys because they again, it's a family-owned uh, mill complex, and uh, they've just put in two million pounds worth of renovation into the mills and the surrounding area. They're creating a hundred new car parking spaces, including some um, uh, electric car charging points, which is pretty cool. Um, and then some event space as well. That's going to have like markets and, and trading events and things like that. Uh, and, and that's where our uh, beer garden, our sort of patio area is going to look out on uh, to as well. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's an absolutely astonishing space. Um, they realise that Farsley is such a is such a quaint. I don't know. Quaint makes it sound weird, but it's it's such a, a fantastic little community. Um, in that there is only really one chain in the town at all, and it's a co-op. So I don't even know if a co-op counts as a chain, really. But it's it's not a Tesco, is it? You know. No. Um, but um, it's quite famous actually Farsley for having uh, one of the few Greggs's that shut because everyone started just using the independent bakers and uh, coffee shops and things like that so Greggs pulled out uh, of Farsley um, so which, which always makes me laugh so the community is very independent minded it's very um, you know sort of community minded um, and the response we've had obviously since, since launch has been has been amazing uh, we really, really can't wait to get started. So um, what's been brilliant today, we, we've actually had day one of our brewery floor going down today, which is really fun. Um, so brew floors this week, brew kit arrives next week. And then next week as well, the start of the brew pub um, uh, build uh, from our contractors as well uh, is, is starting next week. So it's uh yeah i'm wearing about 42 hats at the moment but uh and i'm feeling slightly anxious but everything's going to plan at, at the moment so yeah presumably the uh the, the project management skills you picked up with north brewing will come in rather handy at the moment well i mean let's hope so right because <laughs> i mean it's going to be a disaster if not so uh, yeah so um are you moving 
all of the brewing operation to the brew pub site or, or are you going to continue to to contract cuckoo at, at the same time as it's moving and once it's all moved will it then be solely at, at, at your site or will you still be doing a bit of both to meet demand yeah no uh, the the plan is that we will move everything on site uh, at that point um we we are just doing some brews at the moment uh, with legitimate industries. If you know those guys, yep. they're based in Leeds, uh, Kirkstall area, um, and they're the sort of Red's Barbecue Brewery um, of all people. Um, I've known Alex for a little while, um, and there's a guy uh, called Sean uh, who is at Brewdog, and he introed me to those guys. Uh, Sean's actually uh, managing the relationship between Reds and Brewdog because they're doing those little sort of brew pub type things together. And um, yeah, uh, basically they're, they're helping us to stock up for the brew pub launch. So obviously with the kit going in next week, it's still going to be at least three weeks before we get any beer out of that. Right. So we're still at the moment tracking for soft launches at the end of November um so it would mean that in order for to have adequate beer supply for that yeah we 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 need some beer from from elsewhere so legitimate are helping us out with that um yeah it's great that you're getting to kind of almost not not finally because you've only been going for a few months but it's 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 nice to see that fairly quickly the ambition is to to bring it all to the one site um, and, and even when, when you mentioned there that, you, you know, you're looking at soft launch at the end of November, which as we recalled is only a month away. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've, I've seen brewery tap rooms take years to, to come to fruition. Um, yeah. But, but you're doing it in four weeks. You're, you're, you're keen to get this thing up and running, aren't you? Yeah, I think, I think four weeks is fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think four weeks is fine. Uh, originally we were pushing for three so four is four is long um no i think um i'm working with a really good team i think that's what it comes down to um the people that i work with when i was at north um is a company called design tonic and the guys that own that is amanda and joe and um we've become fast friends i've worked with them now for two three years and they, they really believed in what we were doing. Um, they've put their amazing team on this particular job as well. And to be honest, it's not the craziest build in the world. You know, it, it really is putting together a cold store and, you know, a bar and things like that. It, it's not, it isn't that difficult to put together. The, the best thing is going to be the viewing platform into the brewery and it's going to make everything come together, I think. Um, it sounds sounds absolutely awesome yeah i can't wait to show you guys i really can't uh, your invites for the soft launch are obviously going to be there but like i just i'm really excited to show everybody what it is that's been in my head for the past year or two you know in, in terms of sort of bringing it all together and i think it's i think the key thing for me as well is trying to show the uk market that a brew pub is something that is um a little bit more um uh, i don't know what the word word is that i'm looking for really but i think it's it's a smart way to go if i'm completely honest with you there's obviously as a brew house and kitchen right they're that you know they're, yeah. they're quite reasonably big chain um 
but their, their beer, is it different from site to site or is it similar? Is it, it's, is it good from site to site? You know, what, what is it that you're trying to experience? The key thing for us was that we, we loved the community that we were going into. We really wanted to engage and we really wanted to stand for that as well. You know, we, we want partnerships with the venues that are in this town. Like there's a, an incredible pizza place in Farsley called Grumpy's. It's run by a couple of sisters. Um, and it, it's probably my favorite pizza in Leeds. I'll be honest. It's sourdough pizza. It, it's absolutely incredible. And it's like, well, why don't we do a beer together? That's, you know, sourdough, you know, you've, you've got all this excess waste. Why don't we do something together? You know, um, the, the people in the the actual community are very locally minded and we're we're keen to support everybody else in the same way that we're hoping that they're going to support us as well so it it sounds really exciting um and i do uh and i'm sure martin will echo this as well actually wish you the 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 best of luck with it i i think you will need it don't get me wrong (laughs) yeah (laughs) you've 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 hit You've, you've, you've certainly hit the ground running with obviously your first beer releases. You, you know, you've, you've successfully launched the brewery during a global pandemic. Uh, I've no doubt in, in my mind that the, 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 the brew, that the brew pub will be an absolute success for you as well. So well, it can't get any worse, can it? That's, I mean, that's no. true. Yeah. Yeah. But no, good, good luck with it. And um, we'll, we'll be following from a distance for, for now until we can, until we can get to visit. Now, before I drain the rest of my uh, water pistol, probably uh, we need to do some talking for a bit, Martin, and, and, and let Russ sit back and, and, and enjoy his beer. So let's get into this week's questions. Opinions, 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 opinions. A couple of polls this week. Um, before we get on to the main one, the, the, the other poll that we ran uh, asked the question about homebrewing and have you tried homebrewing with a couple of options, which was, I think, yes, successfully, yes, unsuccessfully or no, never. A whopping 762 votes and loads of comments on, on this one. The majority going for yes. Um, I don't just want to brush this one under the carpet because I think it's something that we're going to come back to and, and go into in a lot of detail um, in the future, isn't it? Yeah, we've definitely got scope for this one. And there was a good reason for us running that particular poll. Um, but I think we'll probably be parking it to 2021 now, I reckon. Yes, yes. But thanks to everyone that got involved in that. And thanks to everyone that took the time to vote and comment. And now moving on to, to this week's main poll, which was actually, uh, this was Russ that suggested this topic. And it, it, it did um, throw the cat amongst the pigeons, so to speak, in terms of, <laughs> of the wording around this. So we asked, if a beer is cuckoo or contract brewed, are you more likely to buy, less likely to buy, or not bothered? 722 votes, 72.2% of people went for not bothered, 26.9% going for less likely to buy, and only 1% going for more likely to buy. Um, Quite a lot of people suggesting that they're different things altogether, which I think is summed up in this not-so-short comment from (laughs) Steve uh, Beer Hold on. Cuckoo Brewing is generally where the brewer has their own kit installed on premises at another brewery. Sometimes they use other larger breweries' kit, but it's that person brewing their own beers. 
contract brewing is anywhere between designing, having your own recipe or asking a contract host brewery to design it for you. So contact brewing can be where you've, brew, where you've been brewing a while and need to up capacity or you've never brewed in your life but you want to sell a brand. There's nothing to say that either of these are good or bad, they're just different. Breweries such as McKellar started as gypsy brewers, something different again, and then moved on to contract brewing. Breweries such as Origami, a cuckoo, they have their own kit in my arch. I have nothing to do with them other than that. And in the past, small breweries that have won Cameron's Best Beer in Britain have had to rely on contract brewing to meet the sudden increased demand. At the end of the day, it's the beer, not the method, as long as people are honest. Now, Steve does also go on to mention a piece that he wrote back in 2015, which was about Cuckoo Brewing, and we will link through to that in the show notes. So, so if you want to have a read, read, click through and read that, you can. Um, before I go into any of the other um, comments, though, as, as it was Russ that suggested this, um, why did you want to talk about this, Russ? Is it Because obviously we, we know now that your, your first batches of beer were... Well, cuckoo or contract brewed um another brewery was there some sort of not backlash but some sort of trepidation from from the consumer around buying your beers because they weren't being brewed on your own kit no uh, weirdly enough um it, it's more of a um i just quite like setting the cat amongst the pigeons sometimes to be honest with you um I really don't see this as a, um, a versus situation, like whether it's, it's good or bad. What I actually think is fascinating is that your average craft beer drinker doesn't realize that quite a lot more beer than they think is already being contract brewed to some degree. Um, there are a lot of breweries out there that are contract brewing um and admittedly most of that is just down to capacity um but some of it is down to you know they're uh, uh, doing some form of collaboration and it's going into grocery it's going into supermarkets um that kind of thing well if you're going into supermarkets there's a certain amount of volume that you need to hit and you might not be able to do that as a really small brewery so in which case you're using the big brewery to contract brew that beer right and it's going out there um i think the main thing is that there's i think within the beer bubble there's a bit of a stigma about it and actually i i think there shouldn't be um because i think and and again that comes with the caveat that as long as um there is a brewer involved creating a recipe and it's brewed to that recipe um, then I, I see less of a problem with it because all you're doing is you're, you're asking someone to brew it as you want it to, or you yourself, in the case of cuckoo brewing, are using a particular person's kit to brew it as you want to brew it. Um, the problems come in when people don't brew it as you want it. And then that is, that is, yeah, admittedly, that's totally where the issues come in. Secondly, the other issues are not being honest about it. And I totally agree with that. You need to be upfront about what it is that you're doing and where you are doing it, because that's where the consumer will lose faith. And I, I agree with that massively. Yeah. And I think it's that it's that final comment there that a, a lot of people resonated with in, in their feedback to this poll. So diving into some of the other comments, Pete 
uh, from at Hops and Hoops said, he's not bothered. The caveat is that there's openness about it and no attempt to hoodwink the consumer. And that, that sort of comment was by far the most popular comment that we had on this one. So it was echoed by the likes of Patrick, Patrick Fox, uh, John at Beer in the Suburb, the Owl Lady, uh, to name but a few. Like I say, there was loads of people that had a very, very similar view on that one. And following that up, we had from John Clark at Beer for John. Some of the best beers I've had have come from people who don't have their own brewery, so I'm not bothered at all. From Justin at McShuth, for me, it's about supporting fledgling businesses a bit more until they get established. Whiplash, for example, got established this way. Note, I still buy their beers. From Horseforth Brewery. Cuckoo Brewing is a great way for someone to start out or get a bit of extra capacity in the short term. Don't like contract brewing from a business angle either, to be fair, too reliant on someone else and the quality is often lacking. From Lee G at AUK Lee, less likely the risk involved in setting up a small brewery to brew good beer is more admirable than just the good beer recipe. From James at James Moosh, it's very different scenarios. Cuckoo Brewers using someone else's kit because they haven't got one is fine. It's still that brewery's people, recipe, ingredients, etc. Sending someone a recipe and paying them to brew it for you means it's no longer really your beer. From Adam Nicholson at Adam Nick. Cuckoo, no difference. Contract, sceptical without reasons. Something like Firestone Walker using Formbridge with an existing relationship and using them as a way into supermarkets makes sense to me. But if upscaling your beer to a macro level... That's different. So finally, on this one from Matt Curtis at Total Curtis, I put less likely. I like to think at home I make a pretty banging lasagna. But if I had to hire a kitchen I've never used to make 20 lasagnas or even pay someone else to do it, I'm sure it would be fine, but it would no longer taste like my lasagna. Oh, it's a really good point. But obviously now that Matt's moved up north, he's now going to be doing the Manchester Scotch egg thing, isn't he, instead of lasagnas? Yes, yes. Yeah, but I think I think the point remains the same. It's that it's that you, you know you've got you've got this recipe which you know and, and love and have created, and if you're suddenly handing it over to somebody else to make more of that recipe, you've got to have absolute faith in their abilities to do that, haven't you? Yeah, I, I think that's true. I mean, where, where do you sit, Steve, on this one? You know what? I'm I'm in the not bothered camp. Um, I. Uh, with the caveat that a lot of people said, as long as it's honest, you, you know, I want to see maybe on the can to, 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 to say that it was brewed in, in this location. I, th I think, you know, one of the most prominent breweries in, in, in the UK that are, have, have always contract brewed over here is Yeasty Boys, isn't it? They've, they've brewed at a number of other breweries and the, their beers have always tasted the same from brewery to brewery that they've used, um, you know, in just in the short time that I've, I've known, of, I think they've, they've brewed at, at least three venues yeah. and, and made pretty, pretty major ones. I mean, they even, didn't they use, they used Brewdog, didn't they, Russ? At, at early one point. Yeah. 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 Early days of coming over here. Um, yeah. It was all done at BD. Yeah. But, but that, that never stopped me from buying and enjoying their beers. Um, and, you know, until, uh, and until Russ asked the question, I would I would never have known that you didn't have you didn't have your own brewery at the beginning. <laughs> but that, but I suppose therein lies the issue, right? Um, because if you'd have found out after the fact and I'd not told you, how would you have felt? Can I go? 
Go, yeah. please, yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't give her monkeys, and I still don't. That's um, interesting. I think you're in the minority, though, Mark. I am. I'm not even bothered about the honest bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the, what's the beer in my glass like? So, beer number five from Amity, I'm enjoying, out of five. Um, you could write a long spiel on the back about your plans, where, where the other brewery is, but, and then the beer could be shit. Great, you've been honest with me, but you've put a bit of shit quality in my glass. Yeah, sure. Um, I do still like those beers that come with the provenance and the obvious one, say Guinness. You know, most people in a lot of the world get their Guinness from Guinness in Dublin. And I think people love that about it. Like they love the fact that it comes from there. Um, equally, Shepherd Neem managed to make Sam Adams Boston Lager taste absolutely dreadful. Um, someone from Sam Adams should at some point come over to the UK and try it for, for sure because it's a different beast to the one in, in Boston. But this particular question about the cuckoo brewing and the contract brewing, I, I can see you've got it on your cans where you brewed. That's all well and good, but I don't know anything about that brewery anyway. Sure. So, yeah, for me, as long as it comes out good in the glass, then that's always my primary concern. The story behind it will enhance it, but if it's rubbish, it won't enhance it. So it yeah. still has to be a good quality product in my book. So That's it's where almost, I sit. It's almost like the uh, are you an independent brewer question. Because if, if they're turning out good beer, it will only enhance the experience as long as you uh, care about that value in general. Right? Yes. It's, it's pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Um, I, I, there was one comment that made me laugh out loud, and you'll have to forgive me. Uh, that I didn't note down who it was, but there was someone, and I think it was tongue in cheek, uh, but they said, you can always taste the contract. And that just made, <laughs> I really loved it. It made me laugh for a very long time. It was really good. I don't, I don't remember seeing that one. I have to admit. That was cracking. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I saw that one and I, 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 I thought I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to put that one in. It's a bit too much, too, too negative. Uh, yeah, for... I think it was tongue in cheek. It might not be, but it still made me laugh. So, well, yeah. if they if they if they uh, if their experience is Samuel Adams Boston Lager, then they're bang on. Yeah. In fact, the underlying or, contract or, might taste better. Or Brooklyn via Carlsberg, right? I mean, you know, you get proper US brewed Brooklyn, and it's fantastic. And the stuff that Carlsberg are doing, it's not awesome. It's not. So. No, no, that's, I know. I think that's when the. But I know about it. But again, if we go back to one of your earlier comments when you're talking about sales and stuff the average punter probably doesn't a lot of the time nope. more so with foods they do but with beer i think the average consumer isn't that bothered about provenance unless they happen to be in that brewery tap room that brew pub in which case nine times out of ten 99 times a hundred whatever you're drinking tastes better yeah if I'm, you're in the environment where you can see it you're looking for a fairly engaged customer at that point anyway yeah so but it's a good question it, it got uh, it did get a lot of people talking yeah certainly with us it helped us get off the ground you know we we couldn't have done what we did um w without contract brewing of, of some variety cuckoo brewing contract brewing you know but um, you know, as ever the number of votes and comments thank you very much to everyone yeah. and um you know if you still want to uh, get involved let us know share your thoughts
yeah. might end up in the next section. Let us know. Write it down. Let us know. Write it down. Let us know your thoughts and bitter in lingerness. Write it down. From John Moore at The Beer Idiot, uh, I'm going to have to disagree on a point in your latest episode. I think Grapefruit Jaipur would actually be pretty nice. I'll tell you what, John, we're just going to agree to disagree on, on that one because I couldn't think of anything worse than, than Grapefruit Jaipur. Oh, I don't know. Sirachi. Yeah, Sabro. <laughs> <laughs> um, from Simon Dewhurst at Simo Sloth. Uh, great show, guys. Have found my shovel and dug myself a giant hole after my two hours comment. I promise you are two people I can listen to for that long. I'm now going to listen to four shows back to back to be- teach myself a lesson. Uh, I've, I've got to say, um, good on Simon. He, he got a bit of a dig in, in, in the last show for, for, from us. He got a little bit of abuse, but he's taken it on the chin and he's, um, he's, he's ridden it well. So it's, it's a well done, Simon. I hope, hope, you, hope you're still enjoying the longer shows. Uh, yeah, the penance you've given yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um, from H Yardley 33. Great podcast as always. After listening, I moved my Colonel Imperial Brown Stout from my beer fridge in the garage to the house fridge. Hope you enjoyed it. From Ian Hay at II Hay. Enjoyed the Beer Points podcast. A really good one, even though it's disappointingly short. Joking aside, I'm absolutely loving the new tightly focused format. Production quality is truly excellent. Mind you, I hope the end of year show is nice and long with plenty of Steve's spreadsheets. I can probably promise that, actually. Yeah, yeah we can guarantee that, can't we, Steve? Yes, yeah, I do love a spreadsheet. I'm excited for that one. <laughs> <laughs> From Michael uh, at Mick McGrorty. Awesome show today, chaps. Very interesting discussion discussion on people's relationship between beer and exercise. And then just following up on both Michael and Ian's comments, your boy, Rob Edwards. I agree completely. Each section moves smoothly into the next. From Johnny Beer Boy at Johnny Beer Boy. Top show as per usual, lads. Agree with Steve on the session cat- category. 4.5% would be my upper threshold for what I would define a session beer as. My old man always considered a true session beer was sub 4%. Be interesting to see what a brewer would consider session two. Would you like to help us out with that one, Russ? What, what, what's, your, what's your definition? It, rather than the joking aside where me and Steve, when we do turn up at your place, we're going to try and session Sunnybank all afternoon and evening at 6%. What's your version of session? I, I'm probably the wrong person to ask because, like, I'm... And, and, it's weird. I, I think I've been trained into it, but I, I genuinely am more on the US wavelength of what they consider like IPA and pale ale and things like that. So like anything sub five for me is, is considered session. So like, yeah, five and above probably is, yeah, you're getting into a few territory, but like sessionable, yeah. Anything below five is kind of there. Yeah. I think that's roughly where I am. I think, if you are going to do a proper, what I'd class as a proper session, like you know, an afternoon or evening, your four point six hells is good, is a good marker, for yeah. that kind of thing. So, uh, carrying on, Paul at UNRCD, top show again, gents. So what I got from this is that gravity cask is better than cask with a sparkler. <laughs> I do enjoy the mouthfeel nitro gives beers, but I do think it takes the edge off some of the flavours. I think we probably meant cask beer still through the hand pump rather than gravity, Paul, because I don't think me and Steve have ever advocated gravity cask over any other format. 
No, I don't think I ever would. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I have revisited uh, the siren beers, which were, that's what the comment is relevant to. And I have to admit, I think the nitro mouthfeel is very lovely, very smooth, very silky. And it explains many a messy night on Caffrey's back in the day. Um, but the flavour profile of the classic red IPA from um, Siren is definitely better, in my opinion. Yeah, I've revisited as well, and I'd, I'd, I'd agree. I preferred the non-nitro version. It just had more flavour go, going on in, in it and more to its overall feel and its finish, where, whereas the, the, the nitro version was just smooth and very drinkable. Yeah. Uh, from Lou on Brew at Lou on Brew, advice for those that don't like the longer episodes. I think she's having a go at Simon now as well. So, <laughs> it's, you, you know, you put yourself up for these things. Um, listen at a faster speed. I listen to all my podcasts at 1.2 times speed, but you can do up to three times faster. Also, the skip silence option cuts out dead air. Some good advice there. I've, I've just recently started listening to podcasts on 1.2 speed, and it's an absolute revelation. 1.2 is, I think, for me, it's as high as I want to go before it starts getting a bit more comical. Yeah. Um, obviously, the skip the silence bit, uh, I'm quite lucky to co-host with uh, Steve, who edits out all of our silent moments anyway. Um, but I sincerely hope that Simon is not listening to his four back-to-back shows on free. Okay? Yeah. That's not a penance if you're doing that. Yeah. Do, do your punishment properly, Simon. Yeah. One. <laughs> I think judging judging from the fact that we're into uh, hour 43 here, uh, Simon's <laughs> going to really not get on well with this show. So. <laughs> uh, and then the final comment this week, and this comes from the estate of Mark Johnson. Um, enjoyed the show whilst out on a long walk not to earn beer points. I wouldn't get too hung up on the show length as a fortnightly longer shows are always fine with me. Interested to hear how things are going down there under, under new restrictions on the next show. Um, I'm not sure that's something we're going to talk about tonight, but we're definitely going to probably get into it on the next show, aren't we, mate? Yeah, although maybe a bit of a spoiler, there was no beery adventures to talk about today. No, yeah. no. So we couldn't really talk about the new restrictions in any way. Um, but as we've been going through all of that, my glass has once again drained itself. Um, I'm you've, still got, you've still got a glass with a hole in the bottom, Steve. I know. I've got to get that fixed. Um, I really enjoyed the water pistol. It was just really easy to drink. Um, as I said at the beginning, you've got some nice tropical stone fruit notes going on in there. Bit of a dry finish. Um, just, just really, really easy. Yeah, I found the fruity flavours actually built. You know, sometimes when you drink a beer like this, the fruity flavours become a bit more mellow and muted because you've got used to it. I was just still getting waves of that tropical fruit fruit notes coming through. And um, I really do think that soft mouthfeel to it was absolutely spot on for what you're trying to do. But yeah, still got a little bit of dryness at the back end as well. Um, just a little bit of wheat in there as well. Oh, is to, it? To build that mouthfeel. Just a yeah. tiny bit of wheat. So. Well, um, I thought it worked really well. And again, it's another one that I think using the word sessionability and accessibility. And if you were trying to do what you said earlier about moving someone away from maybe one type of drink to another one. Sure. It's not a massive leap. It's a step rather than a leap. Yeah. Um, and I think, again, really good. I, I, I preferred it slightly more than the citrus pilsner, I think. But... We're only talking, if we're talking untapped, a, a 0.25 difference, <laughs> which I now need to remember when I check these in. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll be watching. We'll, we'll be watching. Yeah. 
Which brings us nicely on to uh, the final beer this evening. So this is Bessie and this is your uh, milk stout. So why, once again, Martin and I open this and get it into our glasses. Uh, you can tell us all about it, Russ. Yeah, so uh, Bessie uh, is our 5% milk stout. Um, it's, it's one of those where, again, we, we looked at the kind of, kind of beers that we really loved um especially in in this kind of domain like jet black heart for example is is an astonishing beer whether it's nitro or not um and what's what's thornbridge's milk stout called god i really wish i could remember things like that but yes um the, the, the classic beers that we again we we really liked and uh we wanted to do our own sort of lower abv version um because i know thornbridge's big one is coco coco wonderland yeah that's like seven or eight percent something like that something nuts like that um but yeah we wanted something again that was a bit more drinkable uh you, you could have a few of them and um yeah uh, something like that so bessie uh has got it's got vanilla it's got cocoa nibs it's got um jumbo oats it's got wheat um and yeah, the only, the only hop that we really sort of use to any degree on this is Magnum. So there's a little bit of earthiness, a little bit of citrus, but not really because, you know, the, the whole sweetness is there. I think when um, Vez, my wife, tried this, she just said it's a baby pastry stout. It's, it's just, it's super drinkable, but you've got a lot of sweetness in there and it's maybe a bit overdone i think for version one but we'll you know we'll, we'll see the reaction's been really really positive to it but um yeah i think i think the sweetness is maybe just a touch over this this time around so yeah i'm not oh, sure i'm gonna agree with you yeah I, I mean i'm glad i'm doing it last yeah but it's it's a milk stout i'm expecting a bit of residual sweetness to come out in it uh, i think if it was uh, what did your wife call it? Uh, like a baby pastry stout? Baby pastry stout, yeah. It's yeah. a really good descriptor um, because you haven't got that massive thick mouthfeel either, um, which I think makes it quite light and seems to somehow offset a bit of the sweetness because it's yeah. not cloying to the inside of your mouth all the time. It's, it's um, not viscous in any way. No. It's, it's a little bit, it's more ailey in consistency than I'd say stouty. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Steve? Yeah, the the sweetness for me, it's it, it's there, but it's balanced. It's it's this lovely chocolate vanilla thing going on in in, in the middle, but then that does give way to, to to a lovely light roastedness on the finish. It's it's quite dry on the finish, and again coming back to that baby pastry stout, but the thing that it's missing, which is a good thing, is it hasn't got that big cloyingly sweet mouth coating finish. Um, it, it just goes down lovely, and at five percent, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna steal something that you said earlier, Russ, which is a uh, pints are achievable on 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 this one. Um, well, with with all of, with all of your beers, yeah, uh, they are all designed 100 percent to be like a pints are achievable. That's that, that that should almost be your slogan, mate. It's um, pints are achievable. I'll put that on the wall. I'll put that on the wall. I like yeah. it. <laughs> But no, it's, it's it's absolutely delicious, and and like I say again, for for five percent, yes, we're, we're we're doing it last, but it's 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 the right place for it to sit, and it, it is a beer 
that you could sit and you could enjoy. And I, I don't know if, if there are plans at, at your brew pub for um, a, a cask line. This as, as a cask beer. Oh, I was about uh, to ask that. We that couldn't even ask that. smoothness. Are no. you going to be doing cask or are you only going to be, do- or are you keg? So this, yeah, we're, we're a bit worried about this. Uh, no, we're going to be, uh, we're going to be keg only to start with. Um, we are looking at cask as kind of uh, odd specials and, and things like that. So I, I, I would agree with Steve. I think at the six beers we've now tried between us, um, this is, especially with the mouthfeel of it as well, you describe it as like an ale mouthfeel. This is a, a cask beer waiting to happen. Yeah, Abs- yep. absolutely. This, this and, and the ESB. Get that ESB on cask for a spark. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I, I laughed earlier when you were talking about gravity gravity keg, and it's funny because two of the best um, lager experiences that I've had in the past year have been through gravity kegs. So, for example, uh, Braybrook and Don Zoko doing gravity keg, um, uh, uh, both a, a venue in Leeds and, and uh, a festival quite recently, and. Um, they're, they've both been absolutely astonishing um, in, in terms of uh, not not just uh, taste, but also sort of mouthfeel as well. Uh, and I actually think like getting a, a really small little pin um, that we could do a gravity keg with, with something like Bessie or the ESB Red Lane, I think that's the way to go rather than anything. Uh, let's get into this week's questions. Questions, questions, fill my head. So first up this week from Johnny Beerboy at Johnny Beerboy. Uh, do people think there is a lack of sessionable beers available in craft bars and pubs nowadays? I love my local craft bars, but sometimes I go in and there's nothing below 5% on draft. Uh, let me direct you to a new bar opening up in West Yorkshire where you'll find <laughs> a lot of beers below 5%. Um, I was actually thinking about this. So I think that I think there are times when that can be the case. Yeah, um, I know certainly when uh, me and Michelle were in Barcelona last year on our as part of the honeymoon cruise, and we went to Beer Cab, which was an awesome venue, and I was loving it. it because as much as they do have a few nice beers on the on the ship, I had suddenly twenty taps to choose from. I don't even know there was anything below six percent. So bearing in mind we're in Barcelona. It's about three o'clock in the afternoon and it is still rather hot. There's probably only so many extra strong beers you should be drinking before you think, oh yeah, I do have to get that bus back to the ship at some point. <laughs> um, and so Michelle definitely commented at the time, but there weren't that many beers she actually wanted to have because again, even going with a smaller pause, she'd get part of the way through, then I'd be finishing off. Oh, yes, yeah, a bonus for me, but it didn't mean I was doing, then drinking one and a half to two drinks to her one. So I definitely think it can happen. And I think it happens in pubs sometimes as well, but you can have this very, you know, maybe a very bland couple of cask and then they go massive on their fridge or their taps and stuff. Sometimes I'm quite happy to have modern beers, but they don't have to be 8% plus. What do you reckon, Steve? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree. It's, it's kind of that trend again, isn't it? Leaning towards the, the, the big hype FOMO beers. And obviously a lot of venues need to keep up with that, don't they? They, that they essentially need to keep up with the Joneses and make sure they've got the latest releases on. And yeah, there, there have been times where, where I've walked into a bar and you've looked, you've looked at the board and there's literally the only offering below 8% is 
maybe the, the house craft lager and and you're like well i don't i don't want to drink that all night long i, I want to have a, a range of beers to try without having to drink everything over eight percent every time and i just i just think i suppose from my point of view um I, I would like to see venues having a range of abvs from way down at maybe your table beer sort of level and and then everything in between and up to your, your big impy stouts at, at, at the other end yeah and i think i think it's it's something which is achievable even if you've got a, a small bar but if we're talking about slightly bigger bars i, I think somebody who does that really well is craft beer co I think they have a very good range of ABVs starting from the lower to the very ridiculous. Um, I, I, I've never had to think about that side of it when I've gone there. Um, so yeah, I think it's a really good question. I think, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Russ, but is it only your sunny bank, which is over the 5% at the moment? Yeah, at the moment. Yeah, we, uh, we, we do actually have a double IPA in tank at the moment because um, it's not like we don't love the style or anything. Um, but yeah, we've, um, we've recently collabed with full circle as well, uh, for a, for a slightly higher ABV IPA. Um, wouldn't know if I'd class it as a double, but yeah. Um, we, we're not adverse to high ABV beers. It's, it's more about that. We wanted things that people could just drink, to be honest with you. Um, I think when you talk about high, uh, ABV beers, being pretty much the dominant thing on the bar. I think that is a craft beer bar, if I'm totally honest with you. Because if you walk into your average pub or an average bar, restaurant, whatever it is, if they have some form of craft offering, it generally won't be the eight, nine percent stuff. It'll be a fairly need medium range kind of thing. Yeah, although this question did make me think about my experience in America a couple of years ago on the train from Boston to New York, where I was able to get Dogfish Head Imperial 120 minute IPA on the train at 10 o'clock in the morning. That would have been a great train. Yeah, it was. It was because I did buy it just because yeah, it was course. there because I could. <laughs> um, good. But yeah, you know, that you wouldn't expect to see that on um, definitely not on my local trains anyway. <laughs> not a 9%. The only 9% you're getting is a 250 milliliter bottle of wine. <laughs> you probably won't enjoy anyway. The other question this week is from All Owl the Beer at All Owl the Beer. Stress for bars is high right now, but is the lone drinker more unwelcome for taking up valuable space? And, and I think that's a great sort of observation of current times as well, is that obviously in, in the new world of having to pre-book space at venues and you can only go either with your household or with six people or not at all, dependent on which tier you find yourself in. Um, as a lone drinker, yeah, are you taking up a table that potentially could be serving five or six people? It's a tough one um, because I, you and I, Steve, are now in tier two in Essex. Um, so we, we can't drink together indoors at the same table. I would like to think not because you are still a paying customer, but I have to admit, there's been one time where the first table I was shown to definitely was, it would make me look like a bit of a spare part. And I did ask them, I said, you sure this is the table you want me to be at? Because I felt like it was going to take up valuable space. Um, and they said, no, it's no problem. Maybe it's the time of day or the day of the week I was in there. Um, but so I think maybe it's a little bit mindful there. I don't think you want to 
take a table which easily sits four people and you put your bag on one, your coat on another bit and literally spread yourself out. That may not be the best thing to do at the moment. Um, but hopefully most venues are sensible with where they place people if they are placing people and they welcome the custom regardless. So any business is good business right now, yeah? I would say so. I would yeah. say so. But it's a good question though. Yeah, and, and great questions this week. And, and, and once again, folks, just keep the questions coming. Use the hashtag opinions and we'll make sure to cover them. I've almost finished my beer again. And <laughs> <laughs> mine just looks like he's just thrown these all over the table. Well, yeah, because you just said you finished your beer again. So I said, no, I said I've almost finished my beer again. Not, not that yeah. I have fin finished my beer I again. almost did, did try, try to wear mine. Just to catch up, you threw it all over the table. Yeah, just, for, just I was going to shower in it. Is that yeah. good? Yeah. Um, Russ, I just want to take the opportunity to, to, to thank you so much uh, for joining us this week. It's been great chatting to you. And thank you so much for being generous, um, sending us down two lots of beers to try as, as well. We, um, we are truly grateful um, and we have really enjoyed every single beer that you've, you've sent us as well. They are beers that um, I would happily sit and session all day long. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate the feedback, guys, but I appreciate being on and uh, thanks for letting me blab on for uh, for, for uh, an entire evening. It's, um, been a, it's been our pleasure. We've just sat back and enjoyed your beers. So sure. it has literally been our pleasure and I can only echo what Steve has said about thanking you very much, but also how good they are and what Steve said earlier. We will get to your your bar we will get to your brew pub we will have a drink with you on that viewing platform yeah looking at the brewery and we will do our best to drink you out of your sunny bank Cap captain's table um i'm i'm very excited for simon's feedback uh on the uh, four hour show <laughs> <laughs> you, you beat you beat me to it that's great uh where can uh people find you online follow you on the socials all that sort of thing yeah, uh, social-wise, we're, we're Amity Brew Co. Uh, for pretty much everything. Um, and then if you if you fancy taking the chance and, and ordering some beer from us, um, yeah, amitybrew.co um, should get you uh, to the main website and the shop's nice and easily uh, uh, linked there. Um, but yeah, just, just like, to be honest, social media, you'll find us um, and you can see our heartfelt, uh, silly updates on a near daily basis about what the hell is going on in that unit uh, as we work up to launch at the end of the month so yeah we'll really. make sure there are links in the show notes to all of those so people can just click through and, and find them martin um what's coming up next next time i've actually got quite a list of things coming up next time steve <laughs> it makes a change doesn't I know. it um so, uh, on the next show, we will be sharing uh, details of our Crimbo Crawl, the at-home version. We are also going to perhaps share a few details of a collaborative project we're doing with a few other beer podcasts. You may or may not have caught wind of this from one of the other beery podcasts, so we'll share a few more details about that. And uh, we're lucky enough to have some beers from, again, a relatively new brewery, donkey stone brewing have very kindly sent us through some beers and between me and steve we're going to try and get through them all very very much looking forward to, to giving those a try and also chatting about those other things on the next show so just before we finish do need some final thoughts on the the, the bessie um 
at least what I've got left in my glass. Um, I still don't think it's overly sweet. I, I, I think no. the sweetness is perfectly balanced. You, you get the chocolate, you get the vanilla, but there you do then get this lovely dry roasted finish and it all just works really, really well for me. The, the sweetness starts to balance out the more you drink it anyway as well. So unlike the earlier beer where I said the juice carried on coming, the sweetness, I've adjusted to it halfway through the can um, well, more than halfway through the can as it happens, but it's 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 mellowed out very nicely. It's it's, it's one which I could easily go back for that sparkler grab, sparkler cast pour. Um, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. it's a really really good quality beer, really enjoyable. Love the name of it, um, Bessie. Um, although it's slightly different spelling, it is a, a very good Doctor Who reference. That was the name of the car from the third Doctor's incarnation in the seventies. Uh, we 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 went for um, because of the milk. Uh, nature of the milk stout we went with uh, Bessie's uh, queen queen of all cows is Bessie uh, so yeah we went with a, a slightly weirder uh, uh, well, I don't know I think a few people think my one would be a bit weird <laughs> <laughs> I think yours is perfectly normal I think everyone's going to get your reference mine is out there so yeah I, I think this sentence is one that I'm never going to say again but Interesting to finish this week's show on references to both Doctor Who and Cattle in the same <laughs> discussion. It's been an absolute pleasure, Russ. Thank you so much uh, for joining us again. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. Uh, hope the listeners have as well, and we'll be back very soon. Cheers. 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 It's called Amityville. I told you it's the house on the hill.